new with us this morning, that's what we do. Uh, we take books of the Bible and just walk through them. God gave us His Word, and He gave it to us to really not only direct us with how we are to live and so forth, but also to tell us about the Savior, the only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one. There's only one way. Jesus Himself said it. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Him. And so His Word points us to Him, and this morning what we're going to do is wrap up a series that we've been in for several months. Uh, We're going to wrap up the book of Philippians this morning. I'll tell you where we're headed the next couple of weeks, just in case you're you're interested. You might enjoy thinking about these things. Um, Looking forward to next week starting a small series on one chapter of your Bible, and that's Isaiah chapter 53 which is a tremendous passage of Scripture. Um, We're going to spend probably three or four weeks on Isaiah chapter 53. And then once we wrap that up, we're then going to stay in the Old Testament for a little while. And we're going to do a series um, throughout the summer on the Ten Commandments. We're going to look at what the Lord had to say about His character and to Moses in Exodus chapter 20. And then once we wrap that up, as we get ready to go back to school, because it'll be summer then, man, time is just flying by, is it not? We're going to look at Daniel chapters 1 through 6 and see what it looks like to, uh, to live in a world that opposes Christ. So I'm very excited. Although we're wrapping up a New Testament epistle today, we're going to spend about the next six months in the Old Testament and hopefully answer some questions you might have like, you know, what's the point of the Old Testament and how are we to read it and how are we to understand it? We're going to deal with that um, together as a church. So good things ahead for us. But today what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up the book of Philippians. So as I said, open up your Bible to uh, Philippians chapter 4. Um, I have grown, I've always loved this book. Let me tell you one of the many reasons why. When, when I was, I, I was saved when I was 15. But when I was 23 years of age, um, I went with a friend of mine to a Promise Keepers event. Some of you might remember Promise Keepers. It was 1993. I was 23 years old. I was a teacher at Berkeley County Schools. I knew Jesus, but I was very immature. Okay, I just I I I was very worldly in my thinking, very very much just into the whole system of of pursuing things for my own good. And I went to a Promise Keepers event, which was a men's event to call men to keep keep really the promise of of living for Christ in your family. And I went to this event, and I wasn't saved at that event, but let me tell you, God spoke into my life. And I came back from that event, rode on a bus, it was up in, uh, it was actually in Washington, D.C., and I went the roundabout way, long story, to Harrisburg to get home, long bus ride, doesn't make sense, but it doesn't matter. But all the way, I'm wrestling over what I heard. And I got back late that night into the a.m., and I remember going to my wife, No children at that point, young married couple, 23 years old, no gray hair, okay? And I said to my wife, I made a decision at this Promise Keepers event. And this is my decision. I'm either going to follow Christ for real, or I'm walking away from it. I'm not going to straddle this fence anymore. Either this is true, and I'm following him, or I don't want anything to do with it. And I think it kind of set her back, like, oh no, what's going to happen? And I didn't know what to do. I never really had anybody tell me what, how to grow, how to, how to develop in my faith. I didn't have anybody with me. And so I had this NIV study Bible that somebody gave us as a gift sometime in the past. I don't even know why. And I opened up, to, and I found the book of Philippians. And I started reading then God's Word. 
And it came alive in my heart. It was already alive. But it, it came alive. And through the reading of these four chapters, the decision was made. I'm either going to follow him completely or I'm going to abandon him. Either this thing is real or it's not, but I'm not going to play this game anymore. And I made my decision through the book of Philippians. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow him. And God then grew me. I'm not finished. Neither are you. But the Lord has used this book. And even over the last few months of going through it again, I've just been challenged and, and encouraged by what we've read in Philippians. Let's look at it together, would you? Join me, I'm in chapter 4, okay? And I'm going to start in here at verse number 10, and I'm going to read through the end. It's a long reading this morning, but it is the Word of God. Let's honor it and hear it. Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length, you, being the church that he's writing to, have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit That increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, you, re- you probably recall that Paul is in prison here when he's writing this, and he's part of the reason he wrote this letter to this church in this town called Philippi. That's why we call it Philippians. Part of the reason is to thank them because they took an offering and sent it to Paul that his needs... And his ministry could continue. And so this letter is very encouraging throughout because Paul was writing them to encourage them because they gave. And here's the thing that we learn about them when we read the whole of the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, speaking of this very church, this church that Paul is writing to, he says that they are impoverished. They're living in poverty. They are not well-to-do. So we have these poor people in this town of Philippi who have gathered together this offering and sent it to Paul to meet his needs and the needs of the ministry. And Paul is writing this letter to encourage them in their relationship with Christ, 
to challenge them to live for Him, to encourage them as they, as they experience suffering, to tell them about what Jesus did, but also to thank them and to encourage them to continue to give unto the Lord. Now that's our topic for today. You know, we walk through the Bible book by book, and today the topic that the Lord would have us to talk about is our giving. Our giving. Now let's just be honest. We don't like to hear about giving, and let's just be further honest. I don't like to talk about it. It is, it's jaded in our culture. It's jaded. It's twisted. Right now you could go home and probably turn to channel, you know, 312 or whatever it is on your television. And you can see all these men who, and women who go up front on the screen and tell you that if you just give a dollar, if you just give a hundred dollars, you can do this and do that. And, and God rewards you and, and you'll get back and all this stuff. And listen, it makes my stomach turn more than yours. If you think you never watch that religious channel, if you think, I never watch that, I guarantee you I watch it less. Because when I see that, it sickens me. And I think, Lord, I don't ever want to be that. Somebody who is, seems to be looking after their own material needs. And so, see, that's in me. That's in me. So that's why it's hard for me to even talk about giving. It is. But this is God's Word, and we're committed to point to it. So today, that's what we need to talk about. I want to tell you a story about a, a, a man that's a friend of mine, though. I met him in Mexico on a missions trip. Okay, I look around the room, because some of you were there. His name was Pastor Valdez, and he was in a town called Reynosa, Mexico. Him and his wife and two small children many years ago. Any idea how many? Your age minus, like, five, so... 20 years? No. 20? Oh my. I'm so old. Wow. Long time ago. I took a group of teenagers down to Mexico and we were involved in a missions experience down there and went down they had this church and it was run down. I mean, it was, it was depressing to see the condition of, of where we were ministering. And there in this church was this pastor, Pastor Valdez. English was perfect. His English was spot on. You see, he grew up in the United States and went off to a Bible college called Rio Grande Bible Institute. You might know that name because we as a church support them. He went there. This was our connection as a church with them through Pastor Valdez. And he went there because he was, he was raised in a bilingual family. He spoke English. He spoke Spanish of Mexican heritage and, and just was the right man for the job. So RGBI trained him to be in ministry and sent him to this town of Reynosa, a poor, poor town there in northern Mexico. And we measured with him for a week, and then I went back the next year for another week and grew a a friendship with this pastor. And one day on one of those trips, I was with him in, in this back room there in what he called his home. None of you would live in his home. None of you. There's nobody here that lives in a home as as sad as the environment that he raised his family in. And I said, how can I pray for you? He said, this is my prayer. Please pray with me. I've been here for six years. Six years. And I thought, well, there's a lot of people in your church. He said, I know, I know. But we're praying for ten families. We need ten families who will tithe. Because if ten families tithe, then I can be supported. Because we don't have any other bills as church. 
All we have is the support of me and my family. This is Pastor Valdez talking. And so if 10 families give 10%, then I can survive. He said, I won't be rich. He said, but it makes perfect sense. I'll be the, the average income of the church if just 10 families will tithe. So I'll, I'll pray for you. And he said, and also pray for this. He said, I need wisdom. He said, probably once or twice or three times a year, I get a call from a church in the States. And they want me to come be the pastor of the Hispanic ministry. He said, over and over and over. He said, in every one of them, the offer's better. It's more money. It's a nicer community. It's a bigger home. It's a better place for my kids. I just, I don't know what to do. It's all right, Pastor Valdez, I'll pray for you. And we prayed. And I talked with individuals at RGBI, and they were praying that this church would gather around, that this group of believers, would, would, 10 families would tithe. Well, I Googled his name. This is not a failure. But he serves as the pastor of Hispanic ministries in a town in Oregon. And I thought, I don't, I don't know how he came to that decision. I don't know what happened. I'm not questioning that decision. But it hurts my heart. And why it hurts my heart is this. We as believers need to give to the Lord. We need to give. We need to give of our time. We need to give of our abilities. We need to give of our, our, all that kind of stuff. But I'm talking about the idol of our culture. The idol of our world. And if you remember anything today, it's this. You and I, I'm no different than any of you. You and I must give of our money to the Lord. Why? Because it is the only way to kill the idol of money in our lives. The only way to deal with the idol of the dollar in our lives is to give it as unto the Lord. To support his ministries and to support his ministers. God calls us to kill the idol of the dollar. And that happens through giving. Now let me say a few things just so you, you can rest your minds. Okay? When we started Centerpoint Bible Church, one of the things that we said was, I want to have no idea who gives a penny in this church. I don't have any idea who gives any amount of money. Okay? We have set up a very high wall around me. I can't see any of that stuff. So if any time today you're thinking, hey, he's thinking of me because I don't give, or he's thinking of me because I give, I have no idea. I have no idea. For all I know, I'm the only person that gives here, okay? I, the only person I know about is me. I don't know about anybody else. So let's just take this as from the Lord and see what God has to say to us when it comes to our dollars, all right? Back to the passage. First of all, I want us to see some promises about giving here and some promises about living. I just want to review for you 10 through 13 because it's so important. 
There's a call here to contentment. There's a, a call here that, that Paul's given us that we must pursue the secret of being content. And that secret rests in a few things. I'll put up on the screen just to remind you what we talked about last week. First of all, we must trust the sovereignty of God. We must trust the sovereignty of God. Let me tell you that when it comes to a lack of contentment, when we struggle with contentment, it is often motivated and driven and empowered by envy. Our lack of contentment is often driven by envy and jealousy and greed. And we must trust the sovereignty of God when it comes to contentment. Your neighbor has a better house than you. Your neighbor has a better car than you. Your neighbor has a better, a better job. Your neighbor has nicer children, a nicer husband. Your, your neighbor has all the things that you'd like to have. We must trust the sovereignty of God in our lives. Let me tell you one thing that we are all equal on. We are not equal on income. We're not equal on possessions. We're not equal on abilities. We're not equal on friends. We're not equal on relationships. We're not equal on height or girth or weight or ability to run the mile. We're not equal on any of that. The only thing that we are all equal on is the amount of Jesus that we have in Christ. We are all equal in the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. And that is where contentment is found. It's not being just simply satisfied with less. It's not being satisfied with anything less than Jesus Christ. So last week we saw in verses 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, these, these promises and these, these really, these secrets that Paul gave towards contentment. I want to just end with verse 13 because this gives us the real meaning of this verse. It says, I can do all things through, th- through him who strengthens me. That's not the Super Bowl. That's not what it is. It's not the test you didn't study for. That's not what it is. It's not the job that you've applied for. That's not what it is. When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, here's what it means. Even when I don't have, even when I lose it all, when everything is taken from me, when it's stripped away, when I'm abused by life, when life crushes me to the ground, because some of you, some of us, it will happen. Some of us will be crushed by life. And when there you are, smashed under the rock, that's the man or the woman who can eke out that phrase, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you've got nothing but need, you draw upon Jesus. He brings us through. So then we go to verse 14. I want to talk about here, it's kind of God's investment promise. And, and specifically, really, I want, to, I want to talk about the issue of giving. Okay, I want to talk about the issue of giving. He says in verse 14, let's read it. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. This word share is, is the word to have fellowship, koinonia. And it means, in the context, it means, he's talking about financially they gave. 
It was kind of you, he says, to give. And you, you, Philippians yourselves, know that, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no other church entered with me. So what this means is, is they were faithfully giving. They were faithfully giving to what Paul was doing. Now, there was a long period of time, we talked about this last week, where they stopped giving for some reason, but faithfully they've been giving to the Lord. Now, I want to I talk about giving, and, and really, I, I gave you these three words. I want to tell you why you don't like to hear it and why I don't really like to talk about it. There's a reason why we don't want to hear it, and there's a reason why I don't like to talk about it. First of all, is our giving means a lot. It does. The meaning behind our giving matters. And so when we touch that nerve, it hurts. The second thing about giving that makes it hard to hear and and hard to talk about is, quite honestly... It's manageable. Here's what I mean by that. It's manageable. What I mean is, it requires us to plan to give. If you walk in here in the morning and say, well, I'll just, you know, give whatever the Lord leads me to, most of us don't have cash anyway, right? It requ- giving requires management. It means a lot, and it's manageable. I can decide I'm going to give, and then I have to make a decision to do that. And the third thing is this. It's measurable. We don't like that. But it's measurable. Here's what I mean. If you use offering envelopes here at Centerpoint Bible Church, and I encourage you to do that just as a ministry to the finance team, it really helps them out and serve them by doing that. But if you, if you use giving off, off envelopes at the end of the year, Somebody from the finance team is going to bring you a piece of paper and it's going to say, this year you gave X number of dollars. And at that point, it's very measurable. You know. You can't pull the wool over your own eyes at that point. See, giving is meaningful, it's manageable, and it's measurable. And Paul is pointing that out to them throughout this passage. Notice he says, as he speaks about them giving in this 14 and 15 and 16, let's jump into verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Here's what Paul's saying. I don't need your money. I don't really need your money, Paul's saying. I don't need to receive from you. The person that needs you to give, Paul's saying to this Philippian church, is you. So Paul's saying, you need to give for you. Paul's already said, he knows how to be content. Whether he has or doesn't have, whether he's in abundance or he's in need, he has experienced contentment. So this giving isn't about the receiver, it's about the giver. That's very important for us today. We have to recognize that the number one idol in our culture is definitely the dollar. It definitely is. You know, I mean, for years, you know, we, we have all kinds of shows on television that, that show us this. And I would even challenge, now think about this. Think about this just for a minute. The very point of television. You watch television? Why? Why are the television programs? Have you thought about that? Let's challenge this week in reading something to think about that. Why are there television programs? 
Is it to entertain you? Is that what it is? Is it to entertain you? It's not. I'll tell you how you know it's not to entertain you. Pull all the advertisers from a program. What happens in that program? Doesn't exist anymore. Television is t- the only reason television exists is to get us to spend our money. That's the only reason it exists. It's not there to entertain you. It's not there to teach you anything. It's, it's not there to, to grow you as a person. It's there to get you to spend your dollar for Aquafresh. That's why it's there. It's there to get you to go buy a Toyota. It's there to get you to go to McDonald's and get your kid a happy meal. That's the whole point, because that's the point of our culture. The dollar. So Jesus said this. Go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. It's worth turning there. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, 20. Hear what Jesus says about this. Some of you probably ought to memorize this if you haven't done it already. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Hear what it says. Jesus speaking says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And do not try, by the way, this is me talking, not Jesus. Don't try to misdefine that word treasure. That means profit. That means, that means dollars. That's what it means. It doesn't mean anything less than that. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. See, sometimes what we like to do, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm veering off here, but sometimes we take verses like this and we try to make treasure mean something that it doesn't mean. Like me serving the Lord. My treasure is I set up chairs. And I'm thankful that you do. But that is not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not what he's talking about here. Try to have somebody steal you setting up chairs. Doesn't happen. How does you setting up chairs, how is it affected by moths or rust? It doesn't happen. What's affected by thievery, moth, and rust? Dollars and the things dollars buy. That's what he's talking about. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is. Now hear this, and this is why it's so meaningful, and this is why it's to your benefit to give away your money. Listen, here's what it is. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. You see, we think it's the other way around. Now this is what we think. Let me tell you what we think it means. We think that where my heart is, that's where I'll give my dollars. We think that. So if my heart is in golf, I will buy golf clubs. And you should do that. That's okay. Okay? Picking on Brock after last week. So, you know, if, you're, if, 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 you, want, if you have a desire to do something, then, then I'll put my money there. And so, you know, I like to play softball. So I put my time and money there. I like to do this. I put my time and money. That's not what Jesus said. He said, where you put your treasure, that's where your heart will be. Run that through now a little bit. So if I invest my treasure, the things I have control over, my money, my time, my effort, where I put it, if I put it into a place, into an activity, into an event, into a hobby, into anything, wherever I put it, that is where my heart will be. 
So if you go out today and invest all of your money in quilting needles, I mean you buy every length and every gauge of quilting needle that they have. You buy them all, okay? You say, Lo, how do you know about quilting needles? We won't go into that. But you do it, okay? And you, you get them all. I mean, you invest your money there, and you go and take a class on quilting. You know, you go up here into Hagerstown at that little shop there on route number 40 going in towards, yeah, you know where it is. Some of you there, the quilting shop on the right-hand side. That's okay. You go there and you take a class and you, you buy, you know, all the equipment and you invest your life in quilting. Guess what? You do that and you will die for quilting. You will. Why is it you love to do all those things? Because your treasure is there. No, I'm not saying, so don't do anything. I'm not saying that. But I am saying it is for our own good that we give. Because where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be. And I want our hearts to be dedicated to the Lord. I want your heart to love the Lord. I want your heart to love His people. I want your heart to love His pastors and His ministers and His missionaries. I want you to love what God is doing. I want you to be committed to what God is doing. I want you to wake up in the morning and love the Lord. I want you to go to bed that night loving the Lord. I want you to think about Him through the day. I want you to dwell on how good God has been to you. I want you to be convinced that He's true and He's right and He's perfect for us. I want you to know that. So put your treasure there. Put your treasure there. I can say, just like Paul, because you all know, if you don't know, Centerpoint Bible Church gives me a check every two weeks. But I want you to know something. I don't need it. I don't need it. God will provide for me. God will provide for me. You don't give for me. You give for God and the profit. That's what verse, in verse number 17, that's what that word is, credit. And the profit that will be for you. And the profit is love of God. Your treasure will be there and your heart will be there. All right, moving along. Verse number 18. Paul says, I have received full payment and more, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodite the gifts you sent. See, the second thing about giving, this is why we don't like to talk about it, this is why we don't like to hear it, this is why we don't want, it, we want preachers to talk about it, is that it's manageable. You see, what this Philippian church did is they followed the instruction in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I gave you some verses, you can look at these, okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, listen to what Paul says. Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Verse number 2 of chapter 16. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. See, what Paul was driving to, and it's also in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, is this. That our giving, our giving should be proportional. Our giving should be proportional. Here's what I challenge you to do. You and your spouse, if you're married, or you by yourself, you go to the Lord and you say, God, I'm going to give proportionally some amount to what you're doing in my local church. And you can decide what you want that to be. You are to do it willfully. 
2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. You are to do it cheerfully, so you, you are happy to give. You're not to do it under compulsion, not begrudgingly, not like, okay, I'll give. Not that way, but out of joy. And you say, Lord, I'm going to give as unto you at the church, I'm going to give 5%. I'm going to give you 8%, 10%, 50%. I had a missionary friend. Now listen to this. Talk about managing. He was like off the chart, like kind of weird about like he, managing things. He laid out a plan to where, and that was 25 years, he would be giving away 100% of his missionary income to the Lord. And I was like, man, that's pretty awesome. Now, I don't know whether anybody's going to do that here. You let the Lord lead you. But the principle is proportionally. You seek the Lord on what he would have you to do. Now, I know this is... This means a lot because it requires us to sacrifice. And that's really getting into our, our next point, okay? And that, that it is measurable, okay? He says, I received from Epaphroditus a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You see, this is measurable. It's measurable. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, if you give, you know, 5%, you're like a medium Christian, and if you give 6%, you're a, medium, a little bit more than that. That's not what that means at all. That's not, that's not what we're driving at, okay? But what this means is you can see, you can measure, am I giving to the Lord? Am I giving as unto the Lord? That's what God is calling us to. Now, he makes several promises throughout his word, and I gave you those verses, but let's look at the ones right here. He says that they, they brought a gift. He called it a fragrant offering. Okay, this is, this is hearkening back even to the Old Testament days of an, of, a, of an offering that would be brought, okay, of an animal sacrifice. We don't do that anymore because Jesus went to the cross. So we give. We give of ourselves, yes. We give of our treasure, yes. We give of our time. Fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You see, we come to God through Christ. And we give an offering to Him. Because everything I have is His anyway. And I want my treasure to be with Him. Now the thing I want us to understand is that it's important that we come in the right way. See, Jesus said this. If you come to give an offering, and you realize that there is sin in your life, there's an offense between you and your brother, take your offering and get out of there and make things right between you and your friend. You see, it's not about, it's not about the dollar. It's about our heart. It's about our heart. We must give to kill the idol of the dollar and let our heart be fully committed to Christ. You let the Lord challenge you on this. And I encourage you. I encourage you to, to yes, walk by faith. And listen, let me just say this. This is, this is not easy, okay? This is not easy. Let me just tell you a little story from, from our lives. Um, I remember we were buying a house. 
And we sat down with the, with the, the bank official, you know, we're, we're talking about buying a home. You know, you, if you've been through that process, it's, it's very challenging, okay? And, you know, you're just laid out there, you know, for everything they can see. You know, all the money you have in the bank and your income and, and your bills and all that. It's, it's kind of embarrassing, okay? And you just lay it all out there. And the person says to us, well, you know, we've done our calculations and we think that you could afford X. And slid the X across the table. And the X was giant. I'm like, there's no way I could afford this amount of money. What are they, I can't afford that. There's no way I can afford that. It was kind of discouraging. Because I, I'm like, what am I doing wrong? I, you know, we try to live on a budget, and they think I should be able to spend this amount of money. And if I spent that amount of money, we'd be hungry. What, what are they thinking? And I went to a, a spiritual mentor of mine, a couple. Nancy and I both did, and we talked to him. And they pointed something out to us. And they said this. You need to realize, that person at the bank, they have no idea. As a matter of fact, they probably think it's kind of stupid that you give to the church. And they said, you know, what if you took, now they weren't encouraged us to do this, of course, but if you took all the money that you give to the church and just threw that on what you could afford, what you really could afford, do you, get closer to that number? I'm like, well, yeah, I do. And I remember them saying, giving will never make sense to a worldly. Giving will never make sense to somebody of the world. So Jesus is the picture of that, and that's where the passage ends. That's where the book ends. Verse number 19. God's commitment promised to us. Paul writes, And my God will supply every need of yours. Now, I think that definitely includes the financial needs that are in their lives. Because they're giving, yes. Because they're in poverty. This, this is financial needs, but it's broader than that. This is the end of Paul's letter. This is reaching back all the way through everything he's had to say. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the Lord's promise to us. Whatever need comes our way, Whatever need, whether it's financial or it's, it's the, the need to, to withstand the suffering that life, come, that life brings. You see, about, we read about that in the end of Philippians chapter 1. Whether it's the need for forgiveness or the need to forgive. We've seen that in this book. Paul talked about being forgiven in Christ. He also talked about forgiving others. No matter what the need may be, God is the source of our provision. God is the source. And if you think about it, when you talk about sacrificial giving, where else do you go for a better example than the cross of Jesus Christ? What better picture is there of one who, out of love, desire to benefit somebody else and sacrificially gave to meet a need. First John says that we love, why? Because Jesus first loved us. 
And I would say, we give, we give, because Jesus first gave to us. As we transition into, into communion this morning, I, I want to I read to you from Hebrews chapter 9. You can go there if you'd like. I'll, I'll read it. It's in Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 11 through 14. And as we turn there and as, as we prepare to read this, I want us to consider the great act of love that Jesus Christ displayed when he sacrificially gave for our benefit. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14 says this. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, now that's odd, but that's speaking of his body, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Jesus is bringing salvation once for all. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jump down to verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve or to give to the living God? We love because He first loved us. We give because He gave to us. We store up treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to worship You. We go to the cross. Lord, it is there that we see Your love. It is there that we see your sacrifice. And Lord, we're going to take some minutes now and we're going to remember your shed blood. We're going to remember your body that you gave up, Lord, for us. We want to worship you now, Lord, in spirit and truth. Because the truth is, where else can we go? Who else loves us with this kind of love? Who offers us forgiveness? Who offers us life? Nobody. Nobody. You are the way. So we come to you now, Lord, in worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.